0: And we're studying the, the third, the, the fourth, rather, great section of this book, which has to do with the security of the believer in the midst of the uncertainties that come into life, that just make up life. We don't know what we're going to meet in the next turn, what will happen the next day. We live in the midst of uncertainty. Now we've seen our security, and that is the fact that you and I are held in his hands. The righteous, the wise are in the hands of the Lord. The righteous and the wise and all their acts are in the hands of the Lord. That's where our security is not in the fortunate nature of our circumstances, but in the hands of our Lord is our security. Second thing, we notice that we are to be faithful in the midst of all the uncertainties, and we saw varieties of them that can come into life. And we are to be faithful in the midst of these. And now the final thing. We are to be prepared. What you may face tomorrow, what you may face before this day is over, it may be a a tremendous, glamorous, wonderful opportunity. It may be a bitter trial. Who knows? No one. The point is, you're to be prepared. You're to be prepared to meet the uncertainties of life. That is a challenge he gives to us, and he begins there with chapter chapter 11 and verse 7. Now, in this, he gives us three commands. Three commands. We know one of them. It's one of the most quoted verses that people use from the Bible. Why even even humanists quote it. Well, though why I have no idea, but they still quote it. Chapter 12, verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. They even used to write that across school buildings in our country. We don't do it anymore. Well-known command, remember. But Solomon issued two other commands before this one to prepare us for this one. And our trouble is we pay only attention to this one when we need to prepare, be prepared by looking at the others as well. And the first one is found beginning in chapter 11, verse 7. Chapter 11, verse 7, verse 7 through 9. Look at it. The light is pleasant, and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if a man should live many years... Let him rejoice in them all and let him remember the days of darkness for they shall be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. That's the word, by the way, for breath. Everything that shall come will be very brief. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood and let your heart be pleasant during the days of your young manhood and follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes, yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. Now you'll notice, please, when he talks to the man up in verse 8, the man who has lived many years, he says, let him rejoice. That's a command, not an option. And then when he talks to the young man in verse 9, he says, Rejoice, young man. God does not want to have in his church, in his flock, among his people, a lot of sourpusses. That's right. He does not want us to be complainers, people consumed with self-pity, feeling sorry and down and depressed. No. He says, I want you to rejoice. So important is this that he wrote a whole book about it in the New Testament. The book of Philippians. Key verse there. Rejoice in the Lord. And again I say, rejoice. Notice please. He isn't saying that you and I are to uh, rejoice simply when our circumstances become pleasant. That's the way of the world. The way of the world, the way of the humanists, the way of man is when circumstances are good and things are going well, that's the time to be happy and to rejoice. Happiness is, have you never noticed it? Happiness is having a jaguar with 12 cylinders. Happiness is having the best toy in the block. Happiness is having a beautiful wife. Happiness is having this happy. Happiness is to have your husband do all the chores he's supposed to do. That's our concept of things. Happiness is these things, these circumstances. God says, no. Rejoice in the Lord. God pity the young woman who marries a young man, expecting that young man to make her happy. God pity a husband who marries that beautiful young thing, says, "Now I found the love. God pity the young man who has his goal set on a certain occupation and has trained himself for it and is looking forward, he says, if I can only advance, if I can only accomplish this, if I can only reach this goal, that will be happiness. No wonder the world is filled with people who know nothing about it because they're looking for it in the midst of circumstances. God says, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, rejoice. It's only when you realize that you are in his hands and all your acts are in his hands and he is in control and you fix your eyes on him and him alone that you can enter into the reality of what he's talking about. And the first thing he points out here He says rejoice in the fact that you possess life. Look at it in verse 7. He said the light is pleasant and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. He says when you wake up in the morning and you suddenly realize that you're looking at the sunlight, you're still living under the sun, say hallelujah. Now, Usually we want to close both eyes and go back to sleep. (laughs) Because we're too tired or because we don't like the ideas of facing what we're going to have to face. God says, wait a minute. He said, the one thing you need in your life, the one thing you need to cultivate in your life and make it the habit of your life is when your eyes pop open and you see the light, praise God, you're alive. Praise God, you're a lie. That's the first thing he tells us. We need to cultivate that doesn't come naturally. If you haven't learned to do that. begin tomorrow morning. Don't miss one day until it becomes such a habit you don't know how to do anything else. The second thing he points out, and it in the chart by the way ought to be added there is number 2 and then 2 and 3 become 3 and 4 and that is what he says in the beginning of verse 8 indeed if a man should live many years rejoice in the length of life here he's talking about the fellow who has lived a few years on the earth many of them see and what does he say Let him rejoice in them all. And let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. Everything that is to come will be futility. And there are some people who interpret this to mean rejoice in the fact you're alive because you're going to be dead for a long time. That's a nice, convenient way to dodge what he's really saying. Because that's not what he's saying. What he is saying here in verse 8 is that you're going to have all kinds of days in your life. That this brief life of ours is made up of sweet and sour days. There will be days of light and joy. And there will be numerous days, and by the way, notice that, there will be numerous days of weariness and darkness. And that's the simple fact of life. Right? For some of you young people who are just starting out, and your eyes are full of stars, and you think it's going to be just one little gig all the time, I got news for you. You're going to soon find out, if you haven't found out already, and I have a big hunch you've found it out already, that there are good days and bad days. Now, what are you supposed to do? Pity those poor people who are always seeking to have the good days and they can't tolerate any other kind of day and they get all upset with if they have any other kind of day. You know, they're the ones that you find hiding themselves in a bottle. You find them popping cocaine. You find them going off to follow this shrink and that shrink and this guru and that guru. Trying to find some simple pill answer that you're not going to find. Because God holds you in his hands and all of your acts and his plan for you is you're going to have some good days and some bad days, period. The one thing about it is that it's all going to be brief. That's what he said. Not futile, but brief, like a breath. And then he's going to release us and take us to glory where we'll live forever. See, that's the thing that he wants us to see. Now he says rejoice. Build into your life that ability to rejoice. Not on the basis of the circumstance. Don't be one of those people who just moved by circumstance. Don't rejoice in the goodness of the day. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, the third thing he points out is there in verse 9. He says, rejoice, rejoice in the vigor of life. For he says, Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of your young manhood. He lays it right on the line for young people. He says, you're young. You're a child. And this is for young people, and this is for you, for you parents who are raising children. Get this very important truth. In childhood, in your young manhood and young womanhood, you are to develop the habit, the attitude of rejoicing. That's it. It doesn't come natural. It's not the product of circumstances. How many people come into my office and they lay their burden down and they tell me about the problem and they expect me to reach into my little pill bottle, the Bible, and give them one verse and instantaneously they find the solution to the fact that they are depressed and they feel defeated. And God says you've got to build it into your life. You've got to develop a pleasant heart. You're not born with it. You're not even born again with it. You've got to build it into your heart. You've got to make yourself have a pleasant heart. How? Will you turn with me to the book of Colossians, please? Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 3. I knew I was wrong. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Look at it. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with gladness, singing with thanksgiving in your hearts to the Lord. How do you get that? How do you learn to admonish one another with psalms and hymns? How do you know to have a song of thanksgiving? How do you get that? Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. That's how you get it. You build it there. You build it there by going to the Word, reading the Word, memorizing the Word, studying the Word, talking with other people about the Word, and building the Word, taking the Word, and putting it into your heart. And the Word... The Word teaches you to sing with thanksgiving. You see, you and I live in this world and we're being bombarded with all the pressures of time and all the pressures of society and all the things of of, of the philosophies of this world and they're coming into our mind and they're filling our mind with all that garbage. And my friend, listen to me. That is only going to depress you. That is only going to crush you. That is only going to give you the concept that the only way you can live is having a toy. That helps you revert back to baby stage where you've got to have that little nipple in your m- mouth and you're not going to be happy. Takes you right back there. That's what the world does. God says, now come back. Take my word. And let the Word dwell in you richly. Learn it. And apply it to your life. Build it in there. Internalize it. And by that means, you will learn to have faith in God. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the Word of God, that's the only way you get it. Faith comes by hearing The Word of God. You take the Word of God, you internalize it, you hear it, you listen to it, you apply it. You have faith. And then you have a bad day, and you can praise God. And you have a a good day. And all the presence of the the Lord in your life makes that good day gooder yet. Oh, that's what he's saying to you. Now, do it when you're young. Some of you sitting out there say, well, that's good, tell them. May I talk to you too? Hmm? You, you, you wouldn't say you're in childhood. You're scared you're in second childhood, but not in the first one. And uh, you're getting along there a little bit. May I tell you about a man that I came into our little church down there one day? 72 years of age. He accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. Up to that time, he was drowned in self-pity. He was filled with hatred for other people. He was a man who didn't know a moment of peace and satisfaction or anything else, and everything was bad. He was trying to be the king of the pie made two fortunes and spent them. When he told me how much the fortune was, I still don't understand the figure. He came and he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. But that isn't all. You know what he did? That man immersed himself in the Word of God. He would call me in the morning and say, Pastor, I've been reading this. Will you? Ex- I don't understand. Will you explain He called me in the afternoon, Pastor, I don't understand this. He called me in the evening, Pastor, please don't everybody do that. (laughs) He saturated himself in the Word. And within three years, this hateful, grumpy, dispirited, self-pitying, poor excuse for a human being was transformed into one of the most radiant people that I've ever known. Someday when I get to glory, when I see Brother Thompson, boy, I'm telling you right now, that man just vibrated the joy of the Lord. Where would he get it from? Not when he was young, because he filled himself with thresh when he was young, but when he was old, he went at it. So don't think you escape either. God expects us to be joyous and rejoicing Christians. That's what he is saying. Not only are we to have the attitude, we're to have the actions. Notice what he says there. Follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Now, careful here, please. Solomon is well aware, well aware, he himself wrote it, that the heart is evil above all things. It is desperately wicked, as Jeremiah said it. You can't follow your heart. As John wrote and told us, that the lust of the eyes is part of this world and is anti, is anti-Christ. It's against God. You can't follow the desires of your heart. You can't follow the lust of your eyes. I'll tell you what then does it mean? Well, you see, what he's talking about is something else. It's what you find back in Psalm 37. Will you turn there, please? Look at it with me. Psalm 37. And verse 4. What's it say? delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. See, that's the same thing, by the way, that Solomon is saying. Come back to Ecclesiastes and look at it closely, will you please? Because we read this and we don't read it carefully. Listen to what he says. Look at that verse. He says, And follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes, yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. And that's what he said back in the Psalms. Delight yourself in the Lord. Come and make a real commitment of yourself to Christ. Take your evil heart and your lustful eyes, your mind that is filled with the things of the world, and take them and lay them at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, you become the Lord of all. You become the Lord of my heart. You become the Lord of my mind. You become the Lord of my eyes. I give you all of me. Take possession of me. God then begins his work, and through the word he gives you a new heart. He gives you a brand new set of desires in your heart and he gives you a brand new set of desires from your eyes. He gives you a brand new set of concepts in your mind and as you delight yourself in the Lord, God fills you with his thoughts, his desires, his way and then he gives them to you. And that's what he's talking about. And in conclusion, you'll notice that he tells them one more thing. He says they are to rejoice in the accountability they're going to give to God. Will you look pleased at that blasphemy, yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things? That's not a threat. Oh, listen, if you're walking after the sinful desires of your heart, that's a threat. If you're following the lust of your eyes, then this is quite a threat. And you better wake up. But if you're one who has been walking with the Lord and you're trusting Jesus and you're seeking to study His Word and to be filled with His Word and to build into your life and to become a joyous Christian and you're walking with Him, and you know, you have your good days and you have your bad days and you have your days when you make it right and you have your days when you fall flat in your face and get your face all dirty with mud. And, and, and You have all you have those kind of days. Listen, he knows all about it. He's been there. And he's the one that's going to judge you. That's no threat. When I wake up at the judgment seat of Christ, he's going to be the one who has the marks of the thorns in his brow. The marks of the nails in his hands. The mark of the spear in his side. He's not an enemy. He's not there to zap me. He's there to take all of it and put it together and bring me what I long for most. Justice. You work hard, you do your thing, you you serve him, you do the best you can. Nobody else pats you on the back. Nobody thinks it's great weight, my dear ones. The day is going to come when you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and he won't even forget one cup of cold water that you've given. He'll know the motive behind why you did what you did, and everybody else jumped on you for it. You know the motive behind it all. You tried to go out there and really straighten something out and you got it all in a mess and, and you wonder, oh, now look at what's happened to me here. Wait a minute. He knows all about it. And you stand before him in that judgment day. It's not a threat. It's a wonderful opportunity when he's going to make everything straight. He's going to answer all the questions. He's going to put it all together. Ah, rejoice! The day is coming when we're going to stand before him and have this life which we have lived, not judged by a church, not judged by a committee, not judged by someone else, but judged by him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah because from the eyes of my judge will come forth a light of love and wisdom that will satisfy the very depth of my heart and of your heart. It's not going to be a day of terror. It's going to be a day of putting everything straight. Rejoice. The day of accountability. Let's pray. Oh, Father, just make this real to us. We who are your people, you challenge us to joy. You challenge us in the midst of all the uncertainties around about us to rejoice in the Lord and to do it continuously. You challenge us into a walk of real victory, and of thanksgiving. You challenge us to this. Oh, Father, we pray that you'll right now, this morning, move us to that commitment to you, commitment to take the word and build it into our lives we might have this thankful spirit built up within us if lord we have not prepared ourselves in this way get us at the job now get us going at it lord move us Is anyone here father who does not know christ who open their hearts to believe on the lord jesus christ and bring them down these aisles to make a confession of him as their savior so they can go out of here knowing They're children of God. Just do your work in the hearts of your people, we pray. In Jesus' precious and wonderful name. Amen.